I have very mixed emotions today. It's my last Sunday as a member of the chapel. And to some, that may not be a big deal. I've been a part of the chapel for over 42 years, which, again, I know is absolutely shocking to some of you because I look half that age. I've been a member since 1995. I started attending here when Dave Burnham was here. Again, to be fair, I, I was three, so I, I don't really remember him teaching. But I have gotten to, to hear him and know him since, and he has been a huge blessing to me. I came of age under Newt's teaching. I was here during the, the in-between when, well, I was here when, when Newt retired and, and Paul took over. I was here when Paul left and then during the in-between and I was a member of the board of trustees during that time. I was here under Tim Armstrong, the one who enabled me to fulfill my lifelong dream of becoming a pastor. I was part of the team that planted the Cuyahoga Falls campus and that's an honor that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And I wrestled again with what to preach today it's hard to come up with words to summarize my time here at the chapel. I believe that a person's farewell address is very important. I think of George Washington's farewell address. It's, it's what really helped set the stage for our nation. You see in the Bible when leaders were leaving, like Paul when he left Ephesus in, in Acts 20 and 21, he, he gave a farewell address. Or you see the kings and the, the patriarchs, as they're dying, they give a, a blessing or a warning to their children. And so it's through my time here that I've, I've come to rest on a text, and that text is 1 Corinthians 10, or 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 19. Typically, I know that, that we are an expository church. I know that Tim goes through verse by verse, and, and this is how we do things. This is how we do it in Cuyahoga Falls as well. But today is going to be a bit different. I'm going to spend some time sharing about what I have learned from being a part of a church through multiple leadership changes and times of division, and why Paul's warning is so important to heed. So let me pray. And then we'll read the text, and then we'll, we'll get going. God, I am grateful for you, for your faithfulness, that you are the one who leads the church, that our job is to follow you. God, I pray that you will speak through me today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. God, help us to love you more when we leave than we did when we walked in because we know you more. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you, no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to start by sharing some of the experiences that I've had here and then using that to talk about why it's important for the church. The earliest memory in my life is in this very building. It's in a three-year-old classroom. I can show you the spot. Mrs. Stevens was the Sunday school teacher. She was a Sunday school teacher here for over 50 years. So she led when I was three, and then she still led when I was in middle school teaching three-year-olds with my dad. Why is Mrs. Stevens and that hallway so important? It isn't just the earliest memory of my life, but it's because the other earliest memory in my life ties in with it. My other earliest memory was when I was three, was when I became a follower of Jesus. I remember it well. It it seems like a very random event. It happened in my next-door neighbor's yard, playing hide-and-go-seek. The best that I can remember it it with a three-year-old's brain, and I can show you the spot of that as well, was that I was hiding. And again, the best I can describe it, my need for a Savior came over me. And I prayed. These two memories are inextricably linked. The faithfulness of a Sunday school teacher for three-year-olds, Mrs. Stevens, where I learned about Jesus. I can't tell you anything that she said. Actually, that's not true. I can tell you. I can sing the songs that she used to sing, which I won't. You're welcome. (laughs) But God used Mrs. Stevens, and he changed my life forever three-year-old. I would like to say that after that, my life was all Skittles and rainbows. It was amazing. I never messed up. I was an amazing child. Those of you who have been at the chapel long enough may know better. If you have stories, keep them to yourself, please. As a typical boy, on the journey of life, I had many ups and downs. Sometimes it seemed like more downs than ups, but it was a journey nonetheless. This journey, this brings us to the second significant person in my faith journey. But I do want to pause and say these are in addition to my parents, who were faithful and taught me the importance of Jesus and of his bride, the church. There were many Sundays I did not want to come, but I had to. And for that, I'm grateful. This next person is Norv Brown. Oh, yeah, so that's a picture of my family. My mom is going to love that picture. 
I didn't ask for her permission. <laughs> the next person is Norv Brown, the children's pastor here for many years. My mom worked in the children's department here, and so I got to know Norv through church, but then also on a personal level. Norv invested in me, and so whether it was watching college football at his house, or having dinner as families, or being led here on Sunday mornings, or through my many summers at Camp Carl, Norv and his impact were significant. My first job in my life was at the chapel doing neighborhood Bible clubs, where we would go from house to house throughout the summer proclaiming Jesus in people's houses to their neighbors. I did that for two years. Then North hired me at Camp Carl, where I worked for three years. I grew up under North's teaching and his guidance. And he baptized me on February 12, 1989, in that baptismal right up there. The last person I want to mention is Jody Bowser. As a middle schooler and a high schooler, I struggled to find my place. I knew that faith was important to me. I knew that church was important, but I struggled. I never felt connected. I never felt like I belonged. Around my junior year in high school, Norv was hired as the high school pastor. And my life took a dramatic turn. Jody looked for those on the edges. He looked for those who were there but weren't, they didn't seem to quite fit in. And that was me. Jody found me and took me under his wing. The fall of my senior year, we were preparing to go on the Dulos trip, and, and the Dulos trip was the trip that seniors in high school went on. And that year, we were going to Nicaragua and Honduras, two weeks that absolutely changed my life. But as we were getting ready to leave, this was in the fall, we, we went camping at Mohican. And we went to, to build community. And we slept in tents, and it was bitter cold that night. But I remember praying, God, I want to live my life for you. I want to live out my faith, but I don't know how. I don't know how. I need somebody to help me. What I didn't know at the time was I was praying for somebody to disciple me. I didn't know those words. I didn't have those words. But that's what I was praying for. I woke up in the morning and I opened my tent and there was frost everywhere. But there sitting beside the fire was Jody. And the spirit said to my spirit, he's your guy. He's the one that you've been praying for. The one that you asked for. And the rest, as they say, is history. It was under Jody that I started to learn to love the Bible. At that time, the high school had a Wednesday night class in which they went deep into theology. And Jody taught it. And it was there that, that my love for studying the Bible and going deep into Scripture was born. Jody not only taught, but he was there for questions, for, for discussion. He gave of himself for others and for me. And I'm eternally grateful. I would be remiss to not mention Karen Bowser, Jody's wife. 
Seeing Jody and Karen together was instrumental in me finding my wife. In fact, I told Melissa while we were still dating before we were engaged that one of the reasons I wanted to marry her was that she reminded me of Karen. The way that she loved and supported Jody, the way that she carried his burdens with him, was instrumental in my life. You may never have heard of these people. You may not know the impact that any of them have, but I assure you that their impact was great. Not just on me, but on many, many people. What do these three, four people and these experiences have to do with 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 19? When we think of the chapel, we often think of the, of the men on this platform. The, the main leaders, the, the face. They're the faces that you see, and so that makes sense. But as I thought about it, I started to ask myself, what is it that has made the chapel such an impactful church over these 90-ish years? Know that it isn't the man up front. Yes, he is vital to the health of the church, but so often we make an idol of that man. Over the years, I have seen factions form in our church, no more so than two years ago. And this is what Paul's addressing in 1 Corinthians 1. Look at how Paul started this section. In the name of the Lord Jesus, agree with one another that there may be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Be perfectly united. Let there be no divisions among you. Why is this so important, Paul? Why are you saying, what's the, what's the impact well, it echoes Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. In John 17, before he goes to the cross, Jesus is in the garden and he's praying. And Luke tells us he's praying so earnestly that his sweat is like drops of blood. But he's praying, and this is what he says, starting in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, for his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for us here. We are believing through the word of the apostles that started with them. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me. That they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You see this here. Jesus prayed for unity in the church so that the world may see him and believe. Our first witness to the world of our Savior is our relationship to one another. If his church is not getting along, the witness of that church will not exist. If we are united, the world will see Jesus. If we are divided, our witness will not be visible. We cannot be divided and then wonder why our witness is not as good as we would like it to be. Yet this is exactly what we have been over the past number of years. Does this mean that we can't have opinions? Absolutely not. We're all human beings made differently 
and we all have different opinions, but our opinions cannot be a driving force. Our opinions cannot be the thing that dictates what we do. We cannot put ourselves as a priority over the unity of the body of Christ. If it's any comfort to you, this is exactly what the church has been dealing with for over 2,000 years, which is why Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians. We have our people and we become their cheerleaders. We tear down others so that we can exalt our preference. We point out the faults of others so that we can exalt and ignore the faults of our own favorites. So the question is, how can we stay united even though we disagree? How can we have unity in our diversity? Well, Paul addresses this in verse 13. 1 Corinthians 1.13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? You see the answer here? It's by focusing on Jesus. We see something similar in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 11 is full of people of great faith. If you want to see Old Testament saints living out their faith, you read Hebrews 11. And it is full of people that did amazing things. And it would be easy for us to, to think, all right, so, so I need to be like David. I mean, except for the whole adultery and murder thing. <laughs> I need to be like Abraham. I mean, except for the Hagar and then giving away his wife a couple times. I need to be like Joseph or Daniel. But here's what the author of Hebrews says in, verse, in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As we apply this to the chapel's history and to the future, we can say it's not about Carl or Dave Burnham. It's not about Newt Larson or Paul Sartorelli. It's not about Tim Armstrong. It's not about all these people. It's, it's easy for us to look behind and say, look at all these witnesses. But the, the point of the witnesses that I brought up and others are so that we can see God's faithfulness. So that we can see how God works among his people. The, the thing that made Abraham's faith great was not Abraham's faith. It was that he hoped in the one true God. And it's God's faithfulness that we look to and we're encouraged about. Moving forward, it's not about your next lead pastor or the one after that. I know Tim Marrero. He is an amazing guy. I love him dearly. If you put your hope in him, you're going to be disappointed. It's about Jesus. No matter who has led this church for the past 90-ish years, or who will lead it for the next 90. The focus has been and must continue to be on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have not catered to culture as a church. We have not bent our theology to make people happy or more comfortable. We don't give people what they want. We give them the word of God. And this church has been faithful to the word of God for over 90 years. Yet, 
when we become factious, we make it about a person. And in doing so, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put them on a fallible man. We will be divided. We will fall. We will fail in our job as a church to bring the hope of Jesus to the broken, fallen, and dying world if we do not keep our eyes on Jesus. As we move forward and each campus becomes independent, only this campus, only Akron, remains the chapel. You have the history, you have the legacy, you have the cultural impact that has been here for a very, very long time. Yet remember, this church was never built on a person. While you move forward, do not live in the past. Don't compare yourself to the way it used to be. Culture, I mean, you may not be aware of this, culture has changed a little bit in the last 90, 50, 20, five years. We don't live in the same culture that we once lived. And this church has changed during this time as well. Do not erase the history because you prefer a certain person or a certain theological bent of certain people. Don't erase the history. Your focus must be on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Things change, culture changes, people change, yet the word of the Lord remains forever, and it is unchangeable. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. If he builds his church, the gates of hell will not prevail. If we build our church, it will stand against nothing. If a church is ever built on a person or focuses on an individual, it will not last. But if it is built on Jesus, it will last forever. I want to finish my time by talking again about Mrs. Stevens and Norv Brown and Jody Bowser and, and those like them. Because it's through these people and people like them that God has built the legacy of the chapel. Notice that God has built the legacy of the chapel. God has done the work. It's people like these who through their faithfulness have served the people of this church through the gospel. These people are you. I suggest to you that no matter who fills this pulpit, no matter who becomes your lead pastor, the future of this church is dependent upon your faithfulness. The lead pastor sets the, the vision, the, the direction of this church, but he is very limited in what he can do. I know that there are many, many faithful people in this church, whether those who are on staff or those who are volunteers, many faithful people. And your faithfulness is encouraging. But we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, not just those from Hebrews 11, but those from the history of the chapel. Those who have served you. Those who have helped grow your faith. Those who have introduced you to Jesus. So as a church, we look back and we remember. 
We remember who they are and what they did, but most importantly, we remember the faithfulness of the God they served. Look back and remember. But don't keep your eyes backwards. Because if you keep your eyes backwards, what happens when you walk looking backwards? You'll stumble and you'll fall because you don't see where you're going. You look back to, to remember what's been, but only because God's faithfulness is what you see. You don't try to recreate the past, but you turn to look and see God's faithfulness. You see what God has done and you're reminded that we serve an amazing God. Yet there, <laughs> amen. All right, where was I? I... <laughs> there, there is a danger in looking to the past. And that danger is, as I said earlier, you are the only campus of the chapel to retain the name, the history, and the legacy. The reason we are called Falls Community Chapel is, it's, I mean, it's obvious we're in the community of the Falls, but I, we wanted to maintain the chapel name because of all that comes along with it and the faithfulness that's been there. But you're in a dangerous position because it's easy to sit back and wonder, how can we return to the glory days when there was over 8,000 people worshiping in this very building every Sunday? Let's try to recreate that. Let's live in the past and try to do that. Do not make this your goal. For if you do, you will take your eyes off of Jesus and you will begin to worship the idol of attendance and fame. It's easy for leaders of a church or for members of a church to look around at the number of people in attendance and use that as a metric to determine a church's success. Whether or not a church is successful. How many people are there? Know that this is not a metric. At least it's not the right metric. But it's difficult because attendance is the only thing we can see. It's the only thing that's tangible, that we can actually easily see. And it's how society judges something. If a TV show drops below certain viewership, it's canceled. If a, if a movie doesn't make enough money at the box office, it's considered a failure. Whatever it might be, the list can go on and on, and from a human perspective, all of this makes sense. Yet this is not the standard that God sets to determine whether or not a church is successful. There are many so-called churches who have really high attendance numbers, but they don't feed people the gospel. They're nothing more than Sunday morning pep rallies in which they, they help people Learn to live their best life now. And I assure you, if this is the best your life ever gets, you're in for a rude awakening. Or they make false promises of material wealth and physical health. Or they tell the lie that, that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and get right with God on our own. There is a great danger in making numbers your goal. Again, many so-called churches compromise the gospel because they think that this is a way to get more people into their doors. 
But if you're compromising the gospel, what good is it to have more people in your doors if they're not hearing the gospel? The goal of the church is not to get big. The goal of the church is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we want to proclaim the gospel to the most amount of people possible. And we look at guys like Charles Spurgeon, who in the 1800s called the prince of preachers because there were times where he preached to tens of thousands of people at one time. But I assure you that never was his goal to preach to large numbers of people. His goal was to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he let God bring them in. Our goal as a church is not to grow numerically. It's to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and to proclaim him to the dying world. The, the moment we take our eyes off of Jesus, we will lose our purpose. The moment we take our eyes off of Jesus, we will put them on ourselves and our own desires. John Calvin said that the, the human heart is a factory of idols. And I think that's so true. When we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put it on ourselves, we will make an idol of our own desires, our own hopes, our own wants, our own dreams, our own visions, our own everything. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the one who builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Does this mean that every church that has ever existed will remain strong? Does this mean that every church that has ever existed will exist forever? The answer is no and no. Not one church the apostles started is still around. But what this does mean is that if you are faithful to Jesus and you keep your eyes on him, the impact of this church, your impact, the way that God uses you will last forever and will be greater than anything you could ever imagine. See, it's not about living our best life now. It's not about making the name of the chapel great. It's about making the name of Jesus Christ known in the community and pointing people who are on their way to hell to our Lord and Savior. That's the point. And if we take our eyes off of that, we will lose focus. Whether it's here in Akron or in Cuyahoga Falls, we will lose purpose. We will lose. And our, and our purpose will be ourselves. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, the impact that we have will last into eternity. Well, the apostolic churches are gone. We are here because of them. 2,000 years, their impact remains. Not because they were great, not because they did great things, not because they, they finally figured out the right guy to have up front, but because they worship a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. Who is it that we worship? A man who, who speaks or the God who gives man his words?
Do not strive to become the church that we once were. Strive after Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. If you do this, the impact of the chapel will be more than any of us could ever imagine. I'm excited about the future of the chapel. Not just because I love Tim or the other people, the other pastors and staff or the volunteers and the elders, all of whom I have great respect for and great trust in because they keep their eyes focused on Jesus. I know your faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And if you keep, if you continue to keep your eyes focused on him, the impact of the chapel will be great and your light will be bright. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for you. That it is not about an individual, it is not about a person, it is about Jesus. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, I pray for the chapel. Pray that you will, you will make it a shining city on the hill whose light cannot be hidden. Amen. This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 1040 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website at thechapel.life.